Jesus was a socialist. The early Christian church was a socialist organization. Contemporary Christianity should support socialism. Wrong, wrong, and wrong. One of the things that we're told regularly today is that if we would just do things the way Jesus did them, that we would be on board with a socialist government, that capitalism is bad, it's characterized by greed and selfishness, and socialism is the Christian position because we care for the needy and we provide justice for the oppressed. Well, let's talk about that because the idea of socialism is growing in popularity in the West particularly among our younger generations, possibly because they've never been taught, or if they have been taught, they've forgotten that the track record of socialism is not consistent with Christian values. There are several levels of socialism. In full-blown socialism, the government owns the means of production. In other words, the government is the central planner for the entire economy. Everyone in a nation works for the government in some way, and the government dictates prices and determines salaries. I was in Russia a few years ago, and I saw the shortage of doctors that they experienced there because doctors, even with all of their training and preparation, barely made more income than the people who were sweeping out the floors of the hospital. Because in a worker's paradise, Equality of outcome is the goal. So everybody has to be dragged down to the minimum level that all people can live at. It steals incentive for hard work. It steals incentive for personal advancement. Here in America, we don't have a fully socialistic government, but we do have what might be called a quasi-socialist government. That is, there are entire segments of our national economy that are controlled by the government. Our health care, for example, uh, whether it's Obamacare or, or some of the other legislation that has passed in recent years, our retirement savings structure, what we call Social Security, is a government-operated portion of our economy. Our educational system, whether it's public schools or, or public universities, it is operated by the government according to certain rules that are set by central planners. Is it any coincidence <laughs> that those three areas, healthcare, retirement planning, and education, are some of the most poorly run and least financially efficient areas in our national economy? You see, the government has extensively interfered in the market since the early part of the 20th century. We don't have a truly free market economy in the U.S. We have a quasi or semi-socialist government. Now, the only reason that that works is because there is enough of the free market left that businesses are able to sustain the poorly run portions of the economy the socialist portions of the economy, business is able to sustain that because capitalism continues to grow and produce, but it becomes necessary for a government to draw from the healthier part of the economy to subsidize the part of the economy that is not operating well. 
Full socialism doesn't work because it de-incentivizes workers. Quasi-socialism can work for a time as long as there's enough free market enterprise to subsidize it. Here's the problem. In a quasi-socialistic system, or what we would probably prefer a quasi-capitalistic system, there is a tipping point. That is, there's a point where the free market portion of the economy is no longer able to sustain itself and subsidize the socialist part of the economy. What we've seen over the course of the last year is that through forced lockdowns during the pandemic, through closed businesses, closed by uh, government decree and not by market forces, through money that is sort of invented out of thin air and circulated through our economic system, the inflation of prices, the devaluation of the dollar, the hamstringing, if you will, of the private sector and that capitalistic free market portion of our economy, all combined with increasing government intervention, pushes us closer than we've ever been before to the tipping point where the entire system implodes because of the dead weight of the socialistic portions of the government. Now, what's a Christian position on this? Well, we're told that scripture teaches that uh, there is no private ownership of, of goods, that the early church put all of their goods together and it was kind of a, a, a communal uh, endeavor, all goods brought together under the guidance of the church. We're told that uh, Romans chapter 13 tells us that taxes are acceptable and that we should accept them. Even Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, let's think about that. If we go back to the Old Testament, what we find in the Ten Commandments is these rules that were not just about individual behavior, even though there's an individual element to the commandments. They were the code which provided the foundation for the society and the culture that was to be the nation of Israel. It was what was to set them apart from surrounding nations. There is a corporate as well as an individual aspect of the Ten Commandments. Now the reason that's important is because the Eighth Commandment simply says you shall not steal. That's not just individual behavior. That has to do with limitations on the government as well. God complemented the Eighth Commandment with the Tenth Commandment that says you shall not covet. That is, you shall not have envy for something that doesn't belong to you. This idea that Christianity is a socialistic enterprise is proven wrong by the very language of the Ten Commandments because the idea you shall not steal presupposes the idea of private or personal ownership of something to be stolen. If everything belongs to everybody, you can't steal it. This text tells us that from the very beginning of the faith, there was the idea that God who owns all things has given delegated responsibility to his people to care for a particular portion of all things that God has put into the hands of a nation or of an individual. Everybody understands that concept, that what I have, what's been given to me to care for, is mine to steward. We understand that simply by the fact that we lock our doors at night. We don't invite anybody to just come in at any time and take anything we have. 
There are implied property rights throughout the Old Testament, and the purpose of government includes the responsibility to protect those rights. That breaks down when government becomes the one who steals. Now, we don't call it stealing, but let me suggest to you this way. If you have a neighbor who comes and takes a quarter of all of your income, you would call that theft. But when your neighbor lobbies the government and gets politicians to pass legislation, and then the government takes one quarter of your money and gives it to Bob, somehow that is now all right. Frankly, that's how modern Western economies work. We don't call it theft because, well, the government says it's not theft. As one writer said years ago, a socialistic economy is where two wolves and one lamb come together to vote on what's for dinner. This situation exposes flaws in the system. How do we approach this biblically? If the government has the right to all property, then the idea of ownership that is present throughout the Word of God cannot possibly be upheld. Romans 13 does suggest that the government has the right to command taxes. Jesus does say, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But here's what we need to understand about that. When Paul is writing in Romans chapter 13 to suggest that the government has the right to, to levy taxes, he's talking about the right for government to levy taxes to pay for the necessary responsibilities that go with the biblical description of what human government is to do. If you read those early verses in Romans 13, what you discover is that the government has a primary responsibility, which is to protect the innocent and restrain evil. So well, how's that related to property rights? Well, the protection of property rights falls under the category of restraining evil and protecting the innocent. When Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, first of all, he wasn't giving us a full dissertation on a Christian philosophy of taxation. But even when Jesus said, give to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's and give to God the thing that are God's, the underlying assumption was what you have is yours to be distributed according to biblical principles. Well, is all taxation then theft? No. The Bible has legitimate responsibilities that it assigns to government, and taxes for those responsibilities are legitimate financial burdens on citizens. The Old Testament required taxes, and the New Testament understood that that was a normal part of government providing its function. Where we cross the line is when government moves beyond the biblical description of its role in human life and begins to move into the area of redistributing wealth. God has designed the family as the primary social structure of society. Parents are to provide for their children and the family as well as friends and neighbors are to provide for each other in times of need. The church too is to be a great source of charity and benevolence. But true charity is always voluntary. Socialism, in contrast, makes people dependent on the state. It disincentivizes work. It ruins work ethics, independence, and steals dignity. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the people demanded a king, God had Samuel explain, here's what's going to happen. 
the natural progression of human government is to expand its power and its control. That is a part of human nature that finds expression in government. Our Constitution was designed to limit that expansion. If government is to be the, the wielder of a stick to punish the guilty and protect the innocent, the goal of our Constitution was then to make sure that that stick was as small as it could possibly be and still function. In 1 Samuel 8, when the people cried out for a king, king God remind them that the king will demand a tenth of all of their income, a king will demand a tenth of all of their crops. In other words, the tithe that the Bible assigns to God as sovereign ruler of the universe became a tax that kings, putting themselves in the place of God, would demand of the people. I wish we had a 10% tax rate. In fact, where we live, it's even more oppressive than that. But the idea is because our secular society sees government as the all-encompassing authority over life, there's no way, there's no reasonable way to stop the ever-growing grasping of government for what belongs to its people. If you want to see the current state of international socialism, just look at the headlines around the world. We can go to what's happening in Cuba right now. The people are standing in front of party headquarters chanting, Cuba is ours, not yours. We could go to Venezuela, and what we find out is that Venezuela, the leading socialist nation in South America, is now quietly beginning to move away from socialism because it is such an economic and political train wreck. We can go to Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, we find out that as China has taken more and more control of that city, they have now, in their latest budget, increased dollars for policing by more than 25%, meaning they're putting more percentage of their gross national product into a, 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 a law enforcement force that will quell dissent and arrest and exile dissenters. There is a massive movement globally away from socialism because the truth of the matter is, it just doesn't work. But what's the common thing that you'll see in, in, in all Cuba, Venezuela, and in Hong Kong? You'll see protesters carrying American flags. I find that fascinating because apparently the American flag is still the symbol of freedom and liberty around the world, everywhere except here. We need to correct this misunderstanding of a biblical view of government and the biblical approach to economics. Socialism is not biblical. It does not deserve the support of our faith. And the generation that thinks that it's the answer, it's on us as believers to patiently and consistently walk them through the flaws in a socialist system. It never works, and because it never works, mass damage economically and mass murder humanly are always the results.
Let the American flag once again stand for freedom. Even here, this is Truth Currents.